so yeah. I am, my name is Molly Chenault and I'm the Public Services Librarian at the Emporia Public Library. And today is September 17th, 2020. So if you could say your name. This is Sue Claridge and I'm in Houston right now. And, but I'm a, a resident of Emporia and it is September 17th for me also. <laughs> Great, thank you. Sue, when did you first hear about the coronavirus? So I, I noticed I, I was paying attention to the pandemic uh, when it started in Wuhan because I was uh, I'm home a lot because I cannot work and uh, fighting cancer and all that stuff and so I've been watching just way too much news it's probably more than good for me but I don't always want to watch movies and stories and stuff and I can get up and miss five minutes of news and come back in and haven't missed anything but I was watching it and um, I was amazed at how. Um, the Chinese government was able to uh, keep it contained in Wuhan, but the, their methods were pretty harsh. And um, I mean, they were attacking people in the streets who weren't compliant. It wasn't just uh, a strong suggestion. It, I mean, they were physically detaining people, and it, it was it was rather harsh there. But it did work. And then, um, but despite that, there were people from European countries in America in Wuhan who. Uh, you know, uh, unwittingly brought it back to their countries. And so it hit uh, Europe pretty hard. And I was watching every country and it was just the, the numbers were spiking and their uh, medical you know, hospitals were getting overrun and whatnot. And then it hit Italy particularly bad. And just watching them um, having to bury the dead and cart them out, you know, just with, mil I think they were using military trucks is what I remember. It was just it was horrible and, and sad, and we were about 12 days behind them and, and how uh, it was affecting America. And I thought, oh, I hope it doesn't get that bad. And, and in fact, it actually has been worse in America, although our uh, hospital system was not as overrun as theirs was. It was in New York City and uh, some other, other spots. And I do not think the United States has done a very good job in containing this. And, and taking it as seriously as it should have. And uh, that's, been, that's been very scary to me because I'm so immuno, immunocompromised from having cancer and all the treatments I have had, like chemo and medications, and I'm in a special clinical trial that has just tanked my immune system. So I was already isolating quite a bit before the, before the pandemic, and now I just seldom get out of my house. I just very seldom. My, my children buy my groceries for me and um, I, I don't shop. I go to doctor's appointments and uh, I got my hair cut on my, the day before my birthday for the first time in months and it, I felt wicked. I just felt, because <laughs> I was actually in a public place because <laughs> I just don't do anything. When we caught up and we started seeing places in Emporia, like the school system shutting down um, and the shops and the restaurants in March, how were you feeling then? Uh, I was very scared, um, and I thought I have to be very, very careful with this. And um, uh, I just, I just don't have room for error, and I still don't. When it came to Emporia, I was waiting for it to explode, and it did not. Um, I credit Laura Kelly, who is the governor of Kansas right now, uh, for shutting down the state to avoid that. Uh, but it, like it has in so many places, became a political issue rather than a medical one and the science one and instead of joining together and coming up with a good plan to mitigate 
things, uh, we had this big fight. And I felt like we were on a good plan of reopening the state and opening businesses and schools and such. And then there was this big feud over power. The state was forced to open quicker than I think it should have. And that's when I really got scared because I was feeling fairly safe with uh, the governor's plan. I was not feeling safe with um, the legislature's plan. And um, I've been very disappointed in the United States not having a cohesive plan for all states to follow. And um, it's, um, I'm really at the mercy at this point, we're at the mercy of the city uh, commissioners to, uh, because the county will not make a decision and the city had to. And so I, I'm just grateful that when people wear masks and they don't, I'm amazed the level of hatred that has been and, and the people who are not willing to follow science and how, how much instead of just disagreeing and not following rules that they also uh, are critical of the people who are trying to be safe. Do you have ch- children and extended family in the Emporia area? You mentioned your children just, your groceries. Yeah, just children. I have adult children, which is nice because they, they can bring you beer. And that's my favorite thing. <laughs> but uh, my my oldest kid is my caregiver when I need one, and my youngest kid uh, is uh, in in his twenties. My oldest is in his thirties, and my youngest uh, does my shopping for me. And so we we try to split it up so nobody's too overly burdened. But um, I think that that kind of help has kept me uh, safer, much much safer. If if I was doing my own shopping, I, I think I would have gotten sick. You mentioned that you are battling cancer right now and that you're immunocompromised. What are some of the challenges and changes you've had to make in your own life in light of the pandemic? I I got even stricter because I was wearing a mask beforehand and and gloves in public. And so, um, and I I enjoy being able to go shop for my own groceries and occasionally going to a a movie theater like that. Um, I can't afford to do that because so many, because of the, the coronavirus uh, is so much more insidious than the flu or anything else out there. And um, I have been scared in my own own building. I'm living in a in senior housing, uh, and um, it's very safe there. We have doors that lock, and we have to scan in cards to get in. And so it's it's very private. Like it's kind of like a gated community for people who live in apartments, and I like that, but some of my neighbors are less compliant than others, and so um, in order, but they're all sweet and nice and want to talk to me, (laughs) and that's nice, but they forget to social distance, or they have their mask below their nose, or or they just don't even have a mask sometimes, and that just really scares me, and so um, if I wash my clothes, sometimes my my oldest child comes and and helps me with that. if I wash my own clothes, I go out after 10, 30, 11 o'clock because everybody's asleep by then. And so I'm less likely to run into people and I'm, I won't be asked to share a, a washroom with someone else on my floor. And, and I don't want to have a conversation with someone who's not as compliant. And um, I've had to talk to my manager about, we have strict policies in place at the at the uh, apartment that I've had, I, I wrote an, a letter to one of my neighbors and said, you're really putting me at risk and here's what's going on with me. Please wear a mask. And I gave her one, you know, to, to help her out if she didn't have any. And <clears throat> she wrote me back and said, well, I have masks. You can have this back. 
And then she told me what all the things that's wrong with her also. And I thought, why, are, <laughs> why aren't you wearing a mask? <laughs> so hopefully uh, she was embarrassed enough by that, that she will be more compliant. I haven't seen her lately, but, but I'm just, just, um, I just feel very, very isolated. And I like even taking my trash out to the dumpster. I do that at night, usually around 10, 30, 11, hoping everybody's gone to bed. I don't see anybody. Do you think that the pandemic and the things you've had to do because of it have taken uh, a toll on your mental health? Well, it sure hadn't helped. Um, <laughs> I, um, I spend a lot of time trying to, to, to be positive. Uh, mm -hmm. the one, the, I think the biggest uh, threat to me uh, that affected my mental health related to, to the pandemic is that um, the clinical trial that I'm in stopped working in March and I needed a biopsy in Houston, you know, living in Kansas, traveling to Houston um, to get started on a new treatment. And about the day before or two days before I needed to, they were going to schedule it. Uh, MD Anderson or the sponsors of the clinical trial, I believe is what happened, um, said no more elective surgeries. And that's an elective surgery because it's not life saving, although it is, but it was considered an elective surgery. And then, um, so I sent home to grow a tumor that's already stage four. And um, that was very frightening. And so I um, contacted a, a different doctor and say, what can I do at home while I'm waiting for this to pass or whatever, not knowing when it was gonna spike, when anybody was gonna consider elective surgery safe enough again, and a whole different state than Kansas. And Texas just started blooming COVID everywhere. I mean, just, it was just exploding, and especially in Houston where I go. So instead of uh, getting into uh, a new clinical trial in March, I'm just now getting into a clinical trial now, and it's September. And so um, that felt life-threatening. And um, the medicine I was taking, cost so much that my insurance copay was more than my rent uh, Gosh. and yeah my rent and you know 150 percent of my rent and that was a copay and uh, so I had a week where I couldn't take it and I started experiencing pain because the tumor was growing fast and uh, so that was scary and then um, I, I finally uh, the, the pharmaceutical that that makes this particular um, drug uh, got me into a program where I could get it for free. And, but anyway, so when the pain went up, my doctor in Emporia medicated me and I got to the point where I actually thought I had entered into the death process uh, because I was having trouble functioning, I was having trouble thinking, I was having, having trouble um, just you know taking care of my basic needs daily. And so I actually had a meeting with my, my two children and said, I think I can beat cancer. I don't think I can beat COVID. And I can't make them open up the state of Kansas or Texas so I can get down there to help myself. And I don't know when that's going to happen. We, we just kind of started preparing for the possibility that I was going to die. So, yeah, that wasn't a good week. <laughs> that oh, was that's terrifying. terrifying. It was. But all of a sudden, you know, I got back on the medication. I kept back on the pain meds and I, I kind of snapped out of it and I thought oh okay so that wasn't me dying that was me reacting to medications changing suddenly and whatnot but um 
I mean, what else do you think when you have stage four cancer and you can't get what you need to, to, to active, actively uh, fight it? Yeah. So yeah, I guess it has. <laughs> have things improved for you since then? Um, you mentioned that you were able to finally start your clinical trial. Yeah. I mean, hope is so powerful, you know, um, and, and the hope of, uh, getting into something that actively fights this cancer is very, very uh, invigorating and mm -hmm. I'm excited about it. And I'm really excited because the pr protocol I'm getting, uh, which begins next week, is going to have little or no side effects to it, which has seldom been true since I started this stuff. <laughs> so that's a bonus. I mean, you do what you have to do to, to help yourself. But, you know, that it's going to, I'm not going to feel terrible when it's over. It's great. <laughs> That's exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, was there anything, so a lot of changes very quickly. Was there anything that changed slowly um, so that you didn't notice it at first? That's a good question. So that I didn't notice it. I don't know. I think I was, I was kind of on point with this one because it was such a, a threat to me personally. It was hitting older people and I'm in my late fifties and uh, have cancer. And, you know, I just, I just had a lot of risk factors. So I was, I was keeping up on this. I mean, I was, I was watching, I was so addicted to news. I was watching governor uh, Cuomo from New York deal with the issues in New York just to see how they were going to mitigate it. And then comparing it, because he did an excellent job in my opinion. And then I was comparing it to the country and Kansas was following suit like uh, New York did. And then, then it wasn't, we were reopening. That didn't happen slowly, that happened suddenly. So that was frightening. I'm I can't think of anything that slowly happened. I can't think that, that I missed, I don't know. I probably did, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um we were talking about different you uh, keeping tabs on the news earlier. Are there certain places that you look to get information that you trust? Oh, that's a tough one. Uh, well, the CDC initially, I can't trust the CDC now because they have been um, less tethered to science than po politics. And I don't think that's their choice, but that, you know, you have to, we all got to get paid. And right now I think the person who signs their paycheck is uh, affecting how they, their policy and, and discoveries and stuff like that. Um, I trust Dr. Fauci when he is not in the pres presence of the president. And I listen to those remarks more than I do when uh, the president is in the room listening. I trust the numbers that come to, uh, I can't remember which university is keeping tabs on numbers. Can't remember the name of it. And they seem to have been a good resource, but you know, that's, that's one of the problems that we have is that we do not have official guidelines to even track things. And there's arguments about what is COVID and what is not COVID related as far as deaths and stuff. And a lot of people uh, who I, I don't think took science in high school uh, seem to have some strong opinions about it <laughs> and, and seem to know more about it than uh, people who have uh, PhDs and that's concerning. <laughs> so. Have you had any problems with having too little information or too much information? I've had, you know, when I was watching 24-7, when it first started hitting America, uh, I would have to make myself take news breaks because breaks from the news so that and do something completely different because I was, uh, I was fearful and I was uh, a little bit addicted to it. 
it, it, I'm sorry, ask your question again. I, I went off on a tangent. I apologize. Oh, no, that's okay. Uh, just if you had any problems with either too little information or too much information as you're kind of looking yeah. for things. Yeah. Um, yeah, so too little information. Uh, once Kansas uh, walked away from the gover governor's uh, guidelines and started telling her how to, to manage this and micromanage her management style, uh, we stopped being given information about um, where hot spots were and um, like in, in Emporia and just recently they began saying not just numbers or um, um, places where there you know businesses you know what kinds of businesses are having difficulties uh, like uh, the meat producers and and um, senior homes and and such as that they just they would just be, be spoken of generically and now they're naming the name of the businesses they're naming the name of the business and, and the, of senior homes that are struggling. And uh, I found out recently that the Emporia Presbyterian Manor, which is a great organization, had 88 people out of 125 get COVID. And I, I, I quit doing the math because I had to come to Houston and I thought I need to focus on me. But I, I don't know if there was 12 people who had died or if there were 25. And I just an unimaginable percentage of those people who go there to be safe. And COVID entered into their um, their environment and just wreaked havoc. And just so many people have lost uh, elders and their family, and the sadness about that. So I felt like that was too little information for a few months there, which has changed now. And I'm glad because I need to know, you know, I need to, you know, I need to know where stuff is going. Like my children, uh, my youngest kid is still in college finishing his degree and my oldest kid has gone back to um, get their teaching certificate certificate. So what happens at Emporia State University is of particular importance to me now because both of them are on campus. Right. And they're very, very careful, but they're, uh, you know, so if ESU does a good job, I'll be fine. And if they don't, I don't get to see my kids. And that's about the only people I talk to anymore, <laughs> you know, face to face. And uh, I do not get a lot of human interaction. Has the pandemic affected uh, your relationship with, like, for instance, your family and your friends, the way you communicate with them, helped or hurt relationships? I, I feel like um, whenever you become sick, you, you kind of drop out of your social gatherings and stuff. And um, I... I have some very dear friends who have, have worked hard not to leave me in the dust as I fight cancer. And, you know, they, they actively check in with me. But to go out and just, you know, go to the pub and sit down and have a beer with somebody, boy, I miss that. And uh, I feel like my children and I have gotten closer because, you know, I, I'm, I'm facing death. I think I'm doing good beating it, but <laughs> engender some deep conversation. <laughs> and so I've been... <laughs> I've been really proud of the two of them for, um, you know, facing it with me. And we, we keep a good sense of humor about it when, when we can. I mean, sometimes you can't laugh about it because it's not funny. Right. But, um, but you know, it, it leads to other conversations that we might need to have also. And that's been kind of special. I wish neither of them had a mother that they needed to care for. They're, I think they're very young for that. But with my friends, it's, um, they're also isolated. And, you know, sometimes you just get kind of this friendship evaporation just because we're not 
seeing each other face to face. You know, Facebook has helped. Good to have, you know, that kind of thing. And we've even tried sometimes doing Zoom meetings, which because of the lag and the technology and some of us know what we're doing and some of us don't and all points in between, you know, sometimes it just doesn't work out very well. And so I think it does, I don't know that it does harm, but it just, um, it just creates distance. You know, there's just a distance that's, that's unfortunate. Are there any of the changes that have resulted from our reaction to the pandemic that you think will stick around um, and outlast uh, what we consider to be the worst of the pandemic? Yeah, I, I think I think that 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 there will be. Uh, the question is what. Initially, I think it's going to be very hard for us to trust touching surfaces and and to walk around without masks. Although that will be very lovely. But I think in the back of our head, there may be this sense of panic of, oh, I can't touch that. I can't look at that or, or I need to step away from this. I think what, what I worry will last is the divisiveness that we have over the disagreement about is science true? <laughs> and that's, that's a really uh, big concern for me that, that there will be the, the naysayers, you know, no matter what happens, will go, I told you so. I told you that this wasn't going to be that bad. Sure, it was bad. It wasn't that bad. I think we're going to hear that. And, and that, that concerns me because a whole lot of people have already died and we seem to be a little numb to how many people that really is. You know, we're, we're approaching 200,000 right now. And that's a lot of people. And we seem to be okay with that number. And I don't think we should be. But with, with my Pollyanna viewpoint, with, can, I, can I go super positive? And, Absolutely. Um, if, <laughs> I hope and pray we will see. I hope that people will go, wow, our health system is really expensive and we just had a pandemic and people have, have suffered because of it. We need to make a better health system so everyone has access no matter what their income level is. That's what I'm hoping will last. Or, or well, not last, I hope it happens because mm -hmm. we don't have that now. Uh, I am very afraid, going super negative, I'm afraid that we are about to have uh, the worst case of homelessness our country has ever seen, because so many people are at risk of losing their homes right now, and it's much easier to stay in a home than to become rehomed. Right. And I think, I think that's going to be devastating to our country, even more, even more so than losing so many good people. And that was that was already a, a problem before, and this is only going to exacerbate that. Yeah, I think we're going to see people that we consider middle class uh, being homeless, not just people that we consider low income. I think we're going to see uh, we're going to have homes sitting empty, and uh, because no one can afford to find um, the you know can't afford to get a deposit and a rent together, and we're going to see people living on the street. With, with empty homes and apartments and places to live. And that, that's going to be a tragedy in and of itself. How well do you think that as a community, Emporia has handled the pandemic? <laughs> I think it's a mixed bag. I think it could have been worse than it has been. But I have also seen and heard people like on Facebook uh, talking about how um, you know, so far, the people that have died have mostly been older, have mostly had um, other pre-existing conditions. And so 
it's understandable. It's taking the attitude that it's understandable that they passed. And I, th I think that's a tragic way to think. <laughs> and I, I feel like the meatpacking plant really was a hot spot and brought and kept it in our community. And we've lost a lot of good people because of that. I don't think they handled it well. I think a lot of the manufacturers in town have not handled it well. And um, the population is very split on uh, personal responsibility. And I know people who refuse to, to wear a mask, who want to go to church no matter <laughs> whether they wear a mask or not. <laughs> they just want to, they want to, and I understand wanting to worship mm -hmm. and how important that is. But uh, I think faith should be deeper than a congregation, that uh, faith should exist always, every day, and not just in uh, a house of worship. And on the other side of that, is there anything that you have seen positive come out of this? I, I, um, I have seen um, a greater food distribution available for people that did not have to sign up or any way. Uh, all they had to do was show up in their vehicle, drive through, and people put groceries in their, in their vehicles. And I thought that was laudable. I thought that was very good behavior. I think that there is a general practice of uh, some businesses, you know, trying to give people a break around uh, rent and, you know, just the um, financial difficulties many families are, are having. I've seen, oh, here's a good one. I've seen my teacher friends uh, dig deep and uh, just really go way beyond the call of duty as far as coping with the challenges uh, that education is, uh, you know, um, having no classrooms for my music teachers that I, that I love and, uh, you know, how they're just making the best out of a bad situation and teachers who aren't having classes or they're having some face-to-face -face classes and some remote and just, just watching them do their very, very best to make that happen. And certainly frontline workers have just been heroic and not just the nurses and uh, medical personnel, but the people who work in uh, essential businesses like uh, the stores and, 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 and things like that, that we need to function as a society. And I, I think I, I'm really glad that people have gotten to see people, workers who are also often undervalued, seeing them as uh, really working hard and, and, and appreciating the work that they do. I think that's positive. That has been nice to see. Is there anything that we haven't covered with the other questions that you'd like to talk yeah. about before we wrap up? I would be glad when this is over. <laughs> and I don't know when that gets, I don't know how that happens or when that moment comes and we can say we've beaten this and it's all done now. But um, that's the only thing I can think of, really. I'll think of something when we hang up. That's what's going to happen. <laughs> that's what <I> <laughs> Do you think that we will get back to uh, what we consider to be normal? I hope not. I hope we do something better than that. I think, I hope that with the knowledge that we've learned through this crisis, that we could say, you know, there are better ways to live than what we're doing. And there are better ways to cope with crises. And we should uh, make sure that we do this in the future. And so I hope that we learn from this and become a better society because of it. That's, I don't want to go back to normal. I don't think that normal was working very well. I think that that's a good thing to hope for, and I think a lot of people are hoping for that as well. Yeah, me too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think so too. Well, see, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. <laughs> I really appreciate it.